in talking to some people, it does sound like the heavy lifting is done for the Blue Jays this offseason. It's possible that something else may present itself, and that could change uh, the Blue Jays' plans, and they may jump. But we could also see them maybe tinker on the edges of the roster, adding uh, some depth players, maybe something along those lines. But it does seem like the major moves, uh, Justin Turner was the final one. Uh, is this enough? You know, I think what the Blue Jays have done in a lot of ways this offseason was sort of maintain the floor from where they were a year ago. And they're really counting on internal improvements. A lot of players bouncing back and having the type of years that they're capable of. Guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and George Springer and Alejandro Kirk and Dalton Varsho and Alec Mandela to provide some of that major boost. It, it really does seem like if the Blue Jays are going to be a better team in 24 than they were in 23, a lot of it is going to depend on the internal improvements uh, along with the performance of the players that they've added this offseason, Justin Turner included. Good morning, Joe. Sportsnet 5.9 in the fan. Ben Ennis, Brian Gunning. That was Shai Davidi on Sportsnet Central yesterday. So, yeah, heavy lifting is now complete with the signing of Justin Turner Turner to a one-year $13 million deal. He's going to be pretty much the everyday DH, although he's capable of playing a couple of different infield positions, all of them except for shortstop. Um, but, yeah, he's 39 years old. He's going to be 40 mm-hmm. in November. Uh, he, at this moment, before Joey Votto was signed – the oldest player in Major League Baseball is good. Yeah. A season ago, um, not great. Like J.D. Martinez was, mm-hmm. like Jorge Soler, Soler was. But he's a welcome addition to to this Blue Jays team that obviously needs bats. Um, so the, the, this, this is a big year for the Blue Jays, okay? Mm-hmm. It's big just year. quickly before you launch into this, I mm-hmm. just have to say, I feel like a lot of people were hearing that and thinking it, so I want to give voice to this. When when did the heavy lifting happen? Because this feels like a lot of a lot of medium lifting, a lot of two shies no, point maintaining true. the floor, a lot of plyometrics. Honestly, staying very flexible. Honestly, it's like Mr. Burns calisthenics and one. And you can you can argue with whether it was worth it, and I, I guess like obviously scoreboard, it wasn't. There was a lot of heavy lifting with what they had to go through to get into the Shohei Otani conversation, and totally. like you know in the middle of the winter meetings being in Dunedin and yeah. like the subterfuge of not saying where you are, that was heavy yeah, lifting, maybe true. more heavy lifting than this front office has ever had to do. Honestly. Quite honestly. Yeah. No, good point. So that was it. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, lifting to, to no avail for, for, for no reason. Yeah. It's like, you know, getting ripped and, you know, having a six pack, but not being allowed to take your shirt off. Uh, I was going to say, and, then, the and then getting in a car crash and having to lie there while all the muscle yeah, atrophied, and then away. you show up and you're like, hey, yeah. look at this little bit of not not a fat belly I yeah. got. Pretty good, right? No, not that great. But there is a poetic justice to this <laughs> being on in, a, a season banking on internal improvement and saying, all right, Vlad and Bo, you show want me. your extensions and you want to be... Bases of the league, and for Vlad, he's on the cover of MLB The Show, so you're already that, despite you know the fact that you were barely above league average offensively a season ago. Uh, perform! Get us past the 89-win <laughs> barrier. Get us to the top of the American League East. Get us a couple of postseason victories and, like, a series victory and a World Series, and the world is your oyster because you're going to get paid, if it's not here, somewhere else. Like, that, that mm-hmm. it's, it's on you. So there is... A little, a bit of, uh, 
is a little poetic, the, okay. the way this has worked out for, for Vlad and Bo. But it's a big year for them. Like, there's two more years of, for Bo, team, um, two more years of his contract, because he is under contract for this year and next. 13 or whatever the number is, yeah. Yeah, he was signed through his arbitration eligible years. And for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's two years of team control. He will go to arbitration mm-hmm. unless they can figure out a multi-year deal for him. Um, so at the conclusion of this year, if things go awry, I mean, if you get to the trade deadline this season and things go awry, could be an interesting conversation between the Blue Jays, those two players, and other teams around Major League Baseball. Add this to the list of reasons why this is an important season for the Blue Jays. Orioles are about to be sold to some guy named David Rubenstein for $1.725 billion. From the Angelos um, family. I'd just like to apologize. I know you were right. You're right there. Like, you just lost the bid yeah. on that one. <laughs> it's just a, sh- a little bit shy. Um, do you know how much the Angelos family bought the Orioles for? <laughs> I, I saw the number, but please give it to everyone else. $173 <laughs> million. You know what that is? That is the story on steroids. Like, oh, I bought this bungalow in North yeah. York for 20 bucks in the 40s. Yeah. So a 10 times return on investment, which... I think it's better than the stock market over that. You know, and so like you can complain you about know. revenue yeah. and uh, yada yada yada. These these owners of They're fine. pro sports teams, all you have to do is hit the cash out button and you get to collect your jackpot winnings, which the Angelos family has done. So he's a yeah, David Rubenstein's he's a billionaire. He's from Baltimore. Mm. So like if you're an Orioles fan, you're like, this oh, is the, yeah. the this is although like it hasn't resulted in victories for Mets fans and Steve Cohen, it is like it's it's the it's the best thing that can happen to your franchise from an ownership perspective to have like an individual guy who's fantasy. invested yeah. in in the market who has the means to feel the winner. Even if that means, and we've seen this. Uh, even if that means, and maybe we're going through it with Cohen right now, you have to suffer through the first two or three years of figuring out. Oh, of, it's like, oh, I yeah, know I I'm this. a genius. At yeah. I'll just go ask David Tepper how this is working out in right. Carolina. Guess what? He's eventually going to get tired of losing and figure it out. So even if there is the, it's the reverse grace. Pe- actually, mm-hmm. it still is a grace period. Cause you're happy. This billionaire guy who loves your team came in and bought it. And even if it takes him a few years of squash buckling going, I want to do this. I want to do that. Yeah. Generally speaking. Great. <laughs> Uh, so the the best spot you can be in in any sport, but specifically Major League Baseball, is be a team that combines an incredible farm system, incredible mm-hmm. developmental program with the money to augment. It's happened in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Now, they only have one World Series to speak of, but look at the regular season success that they have year yeah. over year over year over year. And look at the farm uh, system rankings year over year mm-hmm. over year and the number of guys that keep emerging for that Dodgers team at the major league level. And then they go out and they they spend a ton of money on Mookie Betts and, and Freddie Freeman. Like it's, there's nothing better and and nothing that'll, and Shohei Otani, I should mention. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> better than being that team. We already know the Orioles have all the best young players in the sport, like all of them. And they have more coming. Like we haven't yeah, seen Jackson Holiday. I was going to say, even the ones who aren't here yet. Yeah, we haven't seen Jackson Holiday. Like he's supposed to be pretty good. Like by which I mean he's the best prospect in yeah. the entire sport. Oh, is that all? Yeah, and he also is a lineage kid. Um, yeah. yeah, Matt Holiday's kid. He's we're, so, we're too old. I think you might get sick of hearing his name. Adley Rutschman has already emerged. So yeah. They have just so many, Anderson, so many. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got our head. They got they got more than a few. Great handle on that kid. The the name nightmare for 
teams around Major League Baseball, but specifically the one that has to play them 13 times a season in the same division, is that they are they do that thing where they have all the young players and now have the necessary means to 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 compete in free agency, which they didn't mm-hmm. do this year. Which you understand because they're on the verge of selling yeah. the team. And if you're the Angelos family, as much as you're like, ah, we could win this year, it's like just keep your ducks in a row here. Like, do not spend a nickel because we're on the verge of maximizing our return. This, why would we spend anything right now when this, we were getting $1.7 billion? This is why I am not a rich guy or an owner of a sports team because I go, oh, this is great. I get to be the guy who brings him here and saddle someone else with the debt, mm-hmm. especially if it's the Otani money. It's like Angelos wouldn't have had to pay a red cent for yeah. that guy. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked because, yeah, I guess like the the, <laughs> the official handing over of the reins probably not going to take place until the middle of the season. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you understand that a team going through that level of transition wouldn't spend this offseason. Here's my guess. It's just me guessing here. That's not going to be the case next offseason. Like the Orioles under new ownership, a guy that wants to make a splash who is emotionally invested in that in that community – with that organization, he's going to be, at least for one off season, trying to make his mark in free agency. So you almost get a reprieve this season if you're the Blue Jays. And it's like a reprieve from a team that was already pretty good a season ago. Plus, you have the impending contractual situation with Vladen Bo. Plus, you know, Danny Jansen hasn't been super healthy, mm-hmm. but he's been a pretty key cog to this team. Yep. More important than I think people realize with, well, especially when Alejandro Kirk isn't the all-star version of himself. John Schneider under the gun this year. Ross Atkins with each and every season that there's not a postseason victory becomes more and more pressurized. The luxury tax bills now emerging for this team that's just spent a ton of money on building renovations. This is the most important season for the Blue Jays since 2015. And let me take you back to 2015 because it all ended up, it ended working out for the Toronto Blue Jays Mm -hmm. despite the fact they were 50 and 51 at the 101 game mark. Working out by which I mean they made the playoffs for the first time in 20 plus years. They obviously didn't win the ultimate prize. No. Uh, they pushed the eventual champs to six games and could have been seven if, you mm-hmm. know, some calls go their way at the end of that sixth game. But, and it's easy to relitigate the tenure of Alex Anthopoulos and say it was all nothing but sunshine and rainbows. That guy was on the hot seat that season. If things don't work out for him, he is gone. It's why, you know, the conversations were happening with various executives of other teams throughout the mm-hmm. course of that season to find his successor. And it was only until, you know, he had success that they were like, hey, Mark Shapiro, you should probably like try to keep this guy. And eventually there was a financial offer made to mm-hmm. Alex Anthopoulos that he rebuffed and decided not to sign. But that was a hugely pressurized season that exploded in a return to relevancy for a team that hadn't seen it in 20 plus years. We're there now. And you can argue that we've been there uh, each and every season since 2020 and 2021. That was a big year because you had the pending looming free agency of Marcus Samian, but it like, you know, the lions or the Packers this Mm -hmm. season, while you're like, Oh, this is, you know, you can't waste any of these opportunities. There's probably going to be more going forward. There might not be more. This could be it. If the blue Jays, are no good at the deadline. They could be taking calls on Bo and Vlad. If the Blue Jays don't do what they're supposed to do at the conclusion of the season, I guarantee you they're taking calls on Bo and and Vlad headed into their walk season. Yeah, very, it's funny, right? Because there's so many sliding doors moment. I will just add one more thing to the impending clock of doom that is the AL East. 
uh, Red Sox ain't going to stay bad for forever. You know, yep. they just hired a new GM there. They're, you know, Fenway, everything they're doing with ownership, they've been stripping payroll down. That's not going to last forever in Boston, I wouldn't think. So we talk about this all the time, cyclically in the AL East, that uh, apparently now the Rays are just good forever. Uh, feels like the Orioles and Blue Jays take uh, turns with competitive cycles. And then one of the Red Sox and Yankees is almost always big spendery good. So there's never a great time. But before that giant in Baltimore gets going and gets spending, you might want to figure it out. In terms of the the idea of taking calls on those guys, it's so funny because with Bo, because of the consistency we've seen, I actually like I don't really have much of a question of what we'll see from him this year. With Vlad, it's so interesting because if he has if you have to take calls on him or you think it's the pragmatic thing to do at the deadline, now, obviously, your pitching can completely, you know, do a 180 from last year. There are other reasons. But I think if the Blue Jays are having a bad season, it's because Vlad is having a bad season. It's not a simple straight line, but it kind of is for me. Like, they're going to need that guy to be a bat that matters. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And we've had that conversation a million times, too. The idea of trading him at what spot in his value. And would you want to go into the last offseason? And then if they're having a conversation of trading him in the this time a year from now it's it almost feels the other way where he has shown up but the team hasn't been able to get it done and you have to feel like there's a okay do we need to kind of completely rejig things here so there are so many you know we often talk about sliding doors this isn't a sliding door this is like uh, when you walk into a room and it's like a fork in the road but there's a thousand forks that this thing could mm. take like this is a massive massive season for the team and guess what yeah you can talk about okay it's not the bowen vlad it's actually like the gosman barrios no it's not i'm sorry like i really like kevin gosman i really like jose barrios that is not the window that those guys that this team has to win. They can still win in the last couple of years of those guys' deals, but they need to take care of their business now and more importantly, figure out what it is. Because to your point, if you're moving on from Bo, if you're moving on from Vlad because things haven't worked out, probably moving on from Kevin Gosman and possibly well, Jose Barrios as that, well. Like it's a complete it. re it's a complete rejigging of everything if it doesn't work with those yeah, guys. Barrios's deal was a seven year uh extension. So yeah, he's here for the duration. But I mean Gosman uh, is only one more year than those of, two of uh, a, a contract that you signed with him. Then Bo and Vlad, Chris Bassett's on the same timeline. George Springer, same timeline as as Kevin Gossman. Like, yeah, th- this this thing has an expiration date, and it's it's not technically this season. Like, I guess in a world of limitless possibilities, you could just run it back into the walk year of. Bo and Vlad and make your decisions at the end of the season either way and just say, hey, we recouped assets in the form of draft pick compensation when we qualify these guys and they sign somewhere else. Oh, my God. But you're, you're doing yourself a massive disservice to the long-term viability uh, if you're doing that. And I don't think that's that's going to be the case with this team. I really don't. Like, I, I don't discount the possibility of those guys still remaining Blue Jays, maybe for the rest of their careers, but mm-hmm. it has to coincide with you know something tangible on the field and 89 wins and a playoff berth and getting into a wild card round and scoring one run in the two games against Minnesota Twins ain't it well and the other thing is is that you know I the only world where both of them are here beyond the two is if it's proven concept that you're you don't have to be capital W World Series winner but you have to be winners because the checks that it's going to take to cut those guys to extend them and look, good problem to have. You have good players that you have to pay. 
but the world where it's kind of a conversation we find ourselves in with the Raptors and the luxury tax, the idea of, oh yeah, I'll just re-up for this given that it hasn't worked and you would be way more pragmatic to trade those guys. So that's the other part of it is that there's just, I, I mean, maybe you feel differently about it, but I don't see a world where you're paying both those guys what it would cost to keep them through and into free agency unless there is proof in the pudding that you can win. Yeah, and I think Bobachet again, on the great podcast he did with uh, Blair and Barker, and we'll talk to our, Jeff Blair. Our close friend, Jeff Blair. Uh, we'll talk to Jeff Blair later on in the program, alluded to this very possibility. It's like, yeah, hey, I, I, I was asked a question about contract extension. He's like, yeah, those aren't really front of mind, and like, let's just take care of business on the field, and I think everything will take care of itself at that point, which yep. I think is... Uh, the correct take. Uh, now, you know, we're talking about a couple of fan- uh, franchise icons mm. potentially no longer being with their current franchise. Let's talk about another one. He's, he's become a franchise icon, I guess, with the Lakers. Uh, Kevin O'Connor with the story on the ringer, like exploring the thought process of a Los Angeles Lakers team that has a decision to make. They're 500-ish in the Western Conference. They stink. I guess is yeah. a, a, a team that's made some additions in previous years and they have 39-year-old LeBron James still competing at the peak of his powers, seemingly. Not it's at remarkable. the peak, peak no. but like at an, an elite level, a guy that's a difference maker and can be, you know, if not your best player, like your second best player on a championship team. The peak of most people's powers. Right. And we only judge him against himself, yeah. which is you know, all right, either the best or second mm-hmm. best player in the history of the sport. Anthony Davis is... I guess, to me, a flawed player, but having a good statistical season. And the Lakers still find themselves, like, <laughs> is losing. Here, is here Trevor Zegras? I didn't realize you oh, had so much disdain goodness, for AD. Yeah. Street clothes? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, he's playing. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're a team that, you know, they can beat the Clippers. They can lose to the Rockets and Hawks, which they just did. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the Hawks won yesterday. Uh and any year that you have LeBron James, especially when he's still doing this, you have to attempt to maximize that. But this is an interesting moment in in a franchise's history that has been tasked with doing that because mm-hmm. LeBron James has a player opt-out at the conclusion of this season, which I think we all expect him to exercise. And like the looming specter of his son being drafted somewhere or maybe not drafted and then signed as a, an undrafted free agent, like most projections... And, yeah, part of that is that the health scare that he went through yeah. uh, this past season has him like as a second-round guy. But maybe that's an option that LeBron takes is that he wants to join a franchise that either drafts his son or signs his son. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, hey, man, we tried to make it work, and I did win a title for you in the bubble, and that was weird. But, yeah, we did it. Like, factually, scoreboard, yeah. done. I'm going to... I can't afford to go through an, yet another season where there's the uncertainty of even being in the playoffs, and we got to try our damnedest just to get into the play-in tournament. Give mm-hmm. me a break here. This, there's no guarantees that even satiating LeBron James by acquiring players means that he like, either opts into his contract or opts out and then re-signs with you. I mean, if you're the Lakers, don't you have to have at least the conversation about, hey, are we going to do this again and it's not like it's been an abject disaster. Again, we have the we have mm-hmm. the title we can point to, and we're gonna have to at some point move on from LeBron James, anyways. Because like, yeah, he's 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 not gonna play until he's fifty years old, like maybe into his forties. But like, what do we think? Like 41, 42, maybe. And God, I know it's been incredible that he's done this to this point in mm-hmm. his career. But how 
many years can you reasonably ex- expect this level of production out of the player? I think it's a, it's an a insanely interesting thought experiment to think about the Lakers taking calls on LeBron James at the deadline. Yeah, it's funny that uh, where my mind goes when you mention that is the not the calls on the deadline, but how much does he have left in the tank? And I think that is totally dependent on situation. You know, the other part of this is who LeBron's been, what it means to be a superstar basketball player as opposed to a superstar in any other sport. But and this has been the thing I've always wondered is that does he, you know, because of the comparisons to Jordan and everything, does he how would he feel? about winning a title where he is not the clear and, you know, I know. You but it's there. always going to be LeBron. No yeah. matter where he goes, it's going to be. It doesn't matter what franchise he joins and whoever, you know, trades for LeBron James and whether it's the Sixers yeah. with Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP, or the, I don't know, the Nuggets with yeah. the, a two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, even with those guys recent or the Bucks yeah. with uh, Giannis, nobody's going to be like, well, this is my team, even though it is factually like it's LeBron James. It's- oh, no. Jokic should be giving it away to him. He'd yeah, be like, oh, course. sick. You're here. I'm going back. I don't back. have to answer any I'm, more questions. No, I think he'd just leave. I think he'd be like, great. They got another superstar. I don't feel guilty about this. I, I understand what you're saying in the moment. I just think that so much of what he does now is about. I he look he plays basketball because he loves it. He plays basketball because they give him fifty million dollars a year. But I think really he plays basketball still at this point in time for his legacy. And so much of that has been how great he is at mm-hmm. this stage of it. But I wonder if he thinks and you know a championship wouldn't dull it in any way, shape, or form. But if he is seen as to be. A mercenary? He's already that. No, but it's not a mercenary because LeBron James, all throughout his mercenary run, never glommed on to anything. He was the center of it. Uh, He was the center of the cell. He started the super team thing in Miami. Right. But it was LeBron at the center of it. Like, yes, I know when he arrived. I know he technically joined Dwayne Wade, but it was LeBron. Like, LeBron was so. LeBron was the best player in the league at that point in time. And yes, Dwayne Wade was right close to him, but nobody was LeBron. Mm. If he goes to, you know, the Golden yeah. State. Okay. Well, that that is a different one, though, because I think people still look at him as, okay, these are all veterans. You guys are of a similar class. But, you know, the team I bandied about to you, a Timberwolves team where it is Anthony Edwards, who is clearly the best player on that team at this point in stage of basketball. How would he feel about being seen as a guy to glom onto that? Now, if he Fine. gets that it's group over year. the – if he gets that group over the hump and I, I look at this so much and maybe this is just dead and gone and we don't need to look at it, but there's just the, the Jordan LeBron debates. And I can, I can close my eyes and hear it now. Michael never had to glom on anything. He was at the center of every championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He but ever that's, won. That, the, if that's your argument, that's it's already done. Like LeBron's changed well, no, teams I think, multiple times. Well, but, it, but he was never, he never went and joined a ready made he never I mean, despite did the, Kevin the regular Durant season thing. record, we're going to look at the Timberwolves and their lack of results over the last half decade, even with Anthony Edwards. Is no, like, oh, I that think, team is I, well, I oh, think well, that's not ver- fair. He joined a no, really good team. I think it's it like, would no, be very different. And that's why I picked them, because I think that is one where you can kind of thread the needle perfectly. And that would he be the best player on the court? Probably not. But there but are no he- dynastic teams right now. Like there's teams that have won one, like yeah. the Nuggets. OK, and the Bucks won one. They've lost the first round last yeah. year. Like, what are we talking? Yeah. The Sixers nonstop just stub their toe in the postseason. 
and I, like the Warriors had this dynastic run and then won another one in like the late prime of of Steph Curry. There there is no, no okay, there that, is no seventy three win Warriors team to join. Okay, that, that when you when you put it that this way, is not the a more parody of the, the more parody of the NBA. I can I can see that. I I want to be clear where I'm at on this. I would love to see that happen. I want LeBron playing on teams that have a shot to win. I also don't think there's any world where he gets traded in season. I think this is an off-season move. It's LeBron. He's going to dictate what he wants to do. Yeah, but do you think he's like, yeah, let's do it again. I, like, it worked out so well this season, and we ended up in a Western Conference final, like, coming out of the play-in tournament, but, like, holy cow, like, look at what we got here, and part of that is the head coach, and Darvin Ham is, like, the, the first shoe to drop should probably be a coaching well, change. Well, yeah, this is, I mean, but this is part of the problem with, like, and again, I say this is a guy who uh, thinks LeBron's a great solar system to operate it, but this is the part and parcel of it is, it's the thing I've always wondered about LeBron is, you know, and maybe it was simple as just stay in Miami, but how different would his career have gone if there was somebody, be it a coach, be it a GM, that he could trust and actually just, like, allow to do their job in that regard? Michael and Kobe both had Phil Jackson, and mm-hmm. he had that for a fleeting moment with their expulsion in Miami. And, and Pat that, Riley. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it's, it's Yeah, but then he was like, you know what? I Let's, should do uh, this. Unfinished business no, back in Cleveland. It would be an incredible story if he could go to four different markets in Amazing. his post-playing career and be like, oh, yeah, I'm the hero of Cleveland. Uh, shockingly, after the decision, I'm a, one of the heroes of Miami. Yep. I'm, you know, despite the fact that it was just the one champion, we brought one yep. broad respectability. I'm a hero in L.A. I'm a hero in Minnesota or wherever it is. Wherever it is. Yeah. I just, I also have to say, I have a very hard time uh, imagining LeBron James just living in Minnesota for a year. I mean, guys from Akron, Ohio. Yeah, so. if Prince did it. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to our Leafs historian, Damian Cox, Toronto Star contributor, as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Morning show, Sports Center 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. I don't normally do this, and normally you can't do this because, you know, the, the sports topics day-to-day change because of the games that are played. But when the Leafs don't play a game mm-hmm. for multiple days, we're looking ahead to the All-Star break for all NHL teams starting tomorrow. I, got, I have put my brain in the mode of, hey, what is tomorrow's show going to look like? How do we... Mm. Content-wise, like, rappers don't play again until Friday. Oh, we got that, that player draft at the mm. All-Star festivities in, in Toronto. Can't wait. And boy, <laughs> can I not wait for our discussion about who Austin Matthews selects first overall if Mitch Marner and William Nylander are still available to him. Oh, is Stamkos there? I feel like it'd be really fun if Stamkos was there. I don't think he is. That'd be uh, such a, I mean, it'd be great. Does, does he P- cop out? Pending free agent, though. Yeah. Oh, so you do the, like, chum in the waters for that mm. thing. Yeah. We're going to read way too much into it one way or another. I cannot wait. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. But, but right now. Let's... I feel like that disgusts the person waiting on the line, though. It's I... like sensibilities of, like, uh, let's let's create some drama to nothing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Really? Is a newspaper columnist? I don't know. Uh, he is the author of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, co-authored by Gord Stellick. He is our Leafs historian. It is Damien Cox. How's it going, Damien? 
Holy smokes, I'm glad I'm not on tomorrow's show. Wow. I knew it. I knew <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I told you, Ben. No, you, you don't want to, you know, like, you don't want to give no, us I mean, your, your preview <laughs> thoughts on who Austin Matthews should select and will select and what it means about his relationship with those two players, uh, see, whether he selects them with the first overall pick. I don't even actually know how the drafts thing works, but I mean, let's yeah. say this. I'd like to see. Austin Matthews do a Mel Bridgman get up there and say, uh, the uh, Austin Ma- team, Austin Matthews takes Ilya Labushkin. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then someone has to say, oh, he's not, not, a, he's not eligible. <laughs> What's that? He's not eligible. Oh, oh. Or, I, or somebody, you know, I mean, you know, back in the day, the Ottawa Rough Riders or Renegades or whenever they drafted a dead player. So anything, that's what I'd like to see happen. But, I doubt it will. I don't think. I know they have, like, celebrities with them. I don't think any of these guys are necessarily funny enough to do this on their own, but it would be a great bit if one of them just went into full NHL GM at the draft mode and Austin Matthews like, hey, I want to shout out my dogs watching at the draft party back at my condo and had, like, this whole long <laughs> preamble before eventually getting around to it. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to those see things, one way or another. I always find those things kind of cringeworthy yes. when <laughs> the NHL guys try to be funny. Oh boy! And it, you know, and it's okay to have one quip or one line, but then they try to ex- like it's like the NHL awards, and everybody's at home going, "No, no, no, please, please stop!" stop. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, yeah, I can't wait for what is sure to be a night filled with cringe uh, tomorrow night. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll take something Watching out on of it. Sportsnet and Sportsnet Plus. <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's, cringe can be entertaining yeah, too. That's why I told people where to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, Start, that's starting at watch, 6 o'clock. That's why, we watch, that's why we watch The Office, right? We want to see <laughs> exactly. what, what White's going to do next. <laughs> I mean, it's such a weird time, though. Don't you find, like, the NHL All-Star break? Yeah. I mean, you were talking about teams are planned. And, I mean, Alex Ovechkin, he's taken his nine goals, and he's in Dubai. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like he's, on, he's on a full-blown vacation. Yeah, and now and so you got the NHL. Half of it's on vacation, half of it's not. They're trying to drum up interest in their newest uh, iteration of the All Star format, and then you've got this horrible Hockey Canada uh, scandal sitting over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was go, I was kind of making a list this morning. I mean, it really does depend on what you want to emphasize as a hockey fan or a hockey observer mm-hmm. to say whether whether you think these are the best of times or these are the worst of times, right? I mean, you can go through the list of Vancouver and Edmonton and Winnipeg and the seasons they're having and Sidney Crosby yeah. and Nathan McKinnon and Austin Matthews and what's happening with the PWHL and Connor Hellebuck, all great stories. And then on the other side, you've got this Hockey Canada scandal and you've got you know, a prominent player, like no one's talking about, you know, Patrick Laine, who thought was going to be a superstar, having to go into, uh, you know, the, the, the NHLPA system for whatever he's dealing with. You've got mm. Ovechkin, who I guess isn't going to chase down Wayne Gretzky, is he? You've got the Arizona situation, 5,000 people at their games and no place to go. You've got that pride tape and all that stuff still kind of lingering. You've mm. got the Weird Corey Perry, Chicago Blackhawks thing. So, you know, we can talk about any one of these things, but it's really a weird time and depends really what you want to focus on. Yeah, I mean, it it can contain multitudes, our our, our thought process when it 
when it comes to the sport, right? Like we can, I can talk about the, the on ice product, I think being close to the best it's ever been. And I, I like the fact that goalies can't make a save. Um, and I like the fact that, you know, it's, I guess, you know, I, I like it two ways because I, I do like my dynasties, but I also like the idea of the, the regular season having a bunch of meaning because there are so many teams that are competing for playoff spots. I like that, but yeah, not to ignore the other stuff. Um, and right. as far as the, like, it almost feels like you know, putting it aside, calling it the other stuff. There's like the, the one, the hockey Canada story is, it's just, it, it feels like it's, it's so prevalent and it's so forefront in our minds. I just, as far as a radio topic, honestly, Damien, like, I don't know what else there is to say about it. I've, I've had right. my, my conversation, my thoughts, I, I've espoused them on what I thought of the Hockey Canada slush fund. And as, as somebody who has two young sons playing hockey in this country, in this province, like how icky that made me feel. Um, and this is different than that. I just don't, I, the, the reason we haven't done much of it on the show, and I don't know if other radio shows have done it too, is it's like, I, there's obviously no side, two sides to that story. It's like a news story and it's horrible. And yeah, I implore people who are maybe not well-versed in the, the ins and outs of it and the particulars, you know, like, I, I guess if, if you don't feel like you're going to be traumatized, like investigate it, but I don't know how much of a conversation topic it is. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, particularly now that there are going to be criminal charges because people are innocent until proven guilty and, and this is going to be a messy trial if it actually goes to trial. There's, and there's five different people involved, plus a victim. Are they all going to be tried together? This, you know, how is this actually going to work? And you know, what kind of result? We know what, what these kind of trials tend to look like. I, I mean, I think if you're going to talk about this, I think um, you have to say, look, let the criminal system uh, go its path. Yeah. And you continue to talk about uh, as Sheldon Kennedy always does, the, the system, the systemic sense of, of the hockey culture, and is it getting better? You know, and is are, are and I think there are there are promising signs, yeah. right? There are it is changing. I think, as someone put it to me, the, the problem for hockey was the world was changing around them, and they didn't they weren't changing, right? And and now all of a sudden they're like. You know, it's like, you know me, I'm always with the Seinfeld, Seinfeld references, and I don't mean to turn this into a funny, but it's like that one on where George Costanza, you know, he's with the, the cleaning lady. And, was that wrong? Yeah, was I not right. supposed to do that? Was that? Yeah. And, and I think that the hockey culture, or the culture around hockey has changed so dramatically in many ways, and the hockey culture keeps looking around going, oh, are we supposed to change too? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's the conversation that we need to keep having, because we need change, we, you know, and uh, you know, and I'm not at all convinced that Hockey Canada is the right organization um, to to be at the forefront. I need we we need to do it with our communities. We need to do it with our kids on their teams. We need to do it with conversations about you know all kinds of stuff. So I think that's the conversation. I just feel awful for everybody involved in this situation. And it happened six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's just awful for, well, obviously, or you know, the vic- if, if there's a victim here, an alleged victim, and mm. then there's what's going to happen to a lot of lives because of it. Yep, um, and hopefully, if you know, the initial reports weren't a wake-up call to people in positions of power um, in hockey in this country, that 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 this will be a wake-up call, and, and we can, you know, attempt to to, to rebuild the 
trust in uh, the systems that govern that sport in this country. There is no way to like elegantly pivot off that to like hockey stuff. So I'll just no, say, I'll no. just leave it. I'll say I am now pivoting off of that to hockey yeah. stuff. Um, you wrote about Mitch Marner, your latest piece on, on uh, the Toronto star. And it's an interesting conversation to have considering he is, he's, he's the only guy that, I mean, outside of John Tavares, who's unsigned beyond next season, he has a full no move clause. And uh, I think considering the previous history of the young players who need contract extensions, I think we can all assume that he's going to get one. Like, is there a serious Mitch Marner conversation in this front office though, if things once again, go pear shaped in the postseason? Well, I, I, you know, the, I, uh, part of me says yes, and part of me says no. Because part of me says no, well, because he's got a he's got a no movement clause. You, you know, what are you going to say to him? Right. Um, we're going we're to trade you. No, you're not. And <laughs> where does it go after that? Um, I, I think the the pivot to steal one of your terms. Uh, the pivot has to be if the Leafs are unsuccessful in the postseason again, then they have to clearly look at their structure. And you would think. And say our 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 philosophy of, of of giving all our money to just offensive forwards has not worked. We thought it would, it hasn't. We need to change. And uh, now part of that will be when John Tavares's contract runs out. I suspect we would all agree that if he were to come back, it would be at a very different number, and those funds could be allocated to other parts. That could be how it plays out. I think the the point I was trying to make is. If they really wanted to make change after this season, let's say they missed the playoffs. Let's say that, I mean, they were the first wild card position right now, largely because Ilya Samsonov's come back to life. But let's say they missed the playoffs. Well, then you're really looking at how do we really change something, like real change. And Marner, because he's such a good player, an all-star, and so valuable, if, you, if, if he were to be interested in, in moving, then you could get a lot back, and that's how you change your team. That's an awful lot of ifs, right? I mean, Marner's a Toronto guy. He lives in the city. He's got a home in the city. You know, he's not going to want to go, you would think. So, you know, I think they're married to those three guys for a long, long time. But events can change. If things become uncomfortable, maybe it changes. I just think it's really going to be interesting to see how Marner plays down the stretch. He can play better than he has played. Um, and he would say that, um, and that would sure help them get that playoff spot and maybe be more competitive in the playoffs. Yeah, he's on pace for you know a career high in goals. Also on on pace though for you know the lowest point total he would have over his last three seasons there, and still sub that that hundred mark that he keeps waiting to get to. And you know it's interesting because I think he is the guy who. Look, the Leafs win, and I don't even mean win a cup, but really win, make a conference final, make a cup final, something along those lines. They're all going to benefit from it. But he feels like the guy who kind of needs that the most. I mean, Nylander has performed in spades. Tavares, say what you will about him, he's the guy who scored the goal that actually got them over the hump. He came home. He feels like he's in a different boat. Playoff Riley has stepped up in a huge way. Nylander's performed in the playoffs. It feels like Marner is the guy who most needs that run from this core, 
but to the point you made about it getting uncomfortable, I can also see him being the guy who it kind of feels most uncomfortable for if it doesn't go well. I mean, look, if he if he has, you know, 20 points in, in a 14, you know, another game seven loss in the second round or something, maybe we feel differently about it. But just given the track record, I, I do see a world where maybe it gets uncomfortable because the, the point I always make about this market is we talk about the whipping boys and we mean our Justin Halls of the world. But it always seems like there's always kind of two whipping boys. There's the whipping boy in the bottom half of the roster. And then there always feels like a star who kind of feels the brunt right. of it. And I'm not saying it's unfair. I, I think he he's deserved some of the brunt at points in time. But does it not feel like he's the guy who's most positioned to feel it if it doesn't go well of the, the core four or five, if you want to throw Riley in there? Well, I, again, I would say yes and no. Yes, from our <laughs> from our elevation. But from where he, like the, these guys now live in a, in a world that is so far removed in many ways from, you know, the regular population. They're rock stars. They might as well be Tom Cruise. You know, is Tom Cruise impacted by what people say about his movie? I don't know. Maybe, you know, I, I you know, you know Mitch Marner is surrounded by people who tell him, you know, uh, you know who who are who are supporters and, nah, and, and but and, he reads he reads Damien Cox and the Toronto Star he no, listens to the fan morning show I don't show. know oh, I don't yeah, know well, about he, this. that part I agree with well and, and whatever's going with. on on Instagram I feel like he's very aware of that as well yeah. because he wears that little wristband you know the what would Ben Ennis do <laughs> that's right around uh, wherever he goes and Smartly. that's you know but yeah no no but I think that's part of it right like there would have been a time. Uh, a long time before either one of you were born, um, that uh, a newspaper column aimed at a particular player would have really sunk that player in this market. And I don't think that it works that way anymore. You know, I, I think it's very different. I think it's. I think if Justin Bieber were to say something harsh to Mitch oh, Marner, that God. would really hurt. <laughs> but, you know, if Damian Cox uh, says something, he, he probably goes, "I don't even." We still have newspapers, you know, yeah. like it's. It's it's a different world we're in, guys. I I generally agree, but I do think that guy in particular, like he's yeah, maybe he's not he's not reading everything. I think he is aware of of the temperature of the market. I, yeah. I really do. I, I maybe more than other guys. Um, I want to talk about uh, your former neighbor Keith Pelly, and we we talked to you when when it was <laughs> when it was announced that he was going to be taking over as president of MLSC. But you know, I was thinking about second half storylines for this team, and I, I mentioned Brendan Shanahan as being one of the guys that's under the most pressure the second half of this Leafs season. Because you would think, even in the the most optimistic Brendan Shanahan situation, he's going to have a meeting with Keith Pelly, and Keith's going to say, "Hey, like, can you tell me what you've been doing here for the last decade or so?" And he's going to have to defend the record the last seven years. And I, I it, it, you know, so much can change in the in the coming months. But say it's a you know, a tough matchup against a, a team that just went to a cup final and looks better than that this season in the Panthers, and you lose in the first round again. You have one postseason victory over now eight years with the best goal scorer in the NHL to show for it. And, okay, you, you, you fired your GM, but the guy you immediately hired, his track record, again, he can change it at the deadline. How do you think that's going to go, that meeting between Brendan Janan and Keith Pelly? I think it'll go fine. And, and look, I, I think we often approach these things with the Leafs saying, you know, should this guy go? Well, my question right back to you would be, okay, so Brendan Shanahan goes. You don't like what he's done. Who, who are you going to bring in that's going to that, change things so much more drastically, right? And it changes from day to day. I mean, at the beginning of or from month to month, at the beginning of the month, 
our beginning of the season, everybody wondered what the hell is Jeff Jackson doing in Edmonton? They've gone right down the tubes and now he's executive Genius. of the year. Yeah. You know, he, obviously Jeff Jackson's the guy who's made the difference. right? So um, now we're dealing with a longer thing. Any executive has to stand on their record and part of the Shanahan record it's clear is the record in the playoffs. No question about it. There's no denying it. And that's, but you have to look at the whole record. You have to look what he inherited. You have to look at the state of the team. You have to look at the regular seasons. You have to look at the players that have been brought in and the kind of team they, they play. Um, you know, if you just focus on playoff losses, well, of course, you, if they go down in the playoffs, then you say, we got to get somebody else. I don't think Keith Pelly's that kind of guy. I don't think he's going to look at just that and say, we got to win. I mean, look, he comes from the European golf tour, at least most recently. He understands, you know, there's a lot more about it than just who wins this week's tournament. You know, it's about promotion. It's about growth. It's about lots of things. And, you know, you look at the Leafs and you look at Brendan Shanahan, and if there's 10 boxes, he ticks nine of them. But the 10th one is that one that people want to focus on, and that mm. is playoff success. He doesn't check that box. It's true. But I, do, you, do you move a guy because he's getting 9 out of 10? You know, I, that, that's what I would say. Mm. Um, but at some point, like every hockey executive, Brendan Shanahan's either going to get fired or he's going to leave. Mm. Um, and uh, when that day comes, I just don't think Keith Pelly's going to come in here ranting and raving and say, <laughs> you know, our playoff record's no good. Everybody goes. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Yeah, doesn't seem necessarily like his MO. He also, though, does seem like a guy that's going to be uh, visible. Like, we're, we're, we're going to see him more yeah. than, like, Michael Frisch. Well, he also might become mayor if he did that. There is a large segment of the city that said, hmm, I like that attitude. Let's give him an even bigger job. So, yeah, yeah who knows? Yeah. Well, I've, I've had people here. Here's a fun one. Now, we're just speculating. I'm not oh, suggesting okay. anything. Here we go. I'm not starting right. a rumor. Yeah. Yes. But I've already had people say, wow, this is clearly just a stepping stone. He's going to be the next commissioner I, of the National I, Hockey League. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, God, could you put it past him, the, the the career arc that he's had? Oh, I think he's, when the job opens up as king of the world, he's going to, he'll, he'll get an interview. <laughs> and we could be, you could be the jester maybe, Ben. You know, it's just the way, the way it is with, with Keith, that's for sure. So, but I do agree with you that he's going to be a voice. He's going to be prominent. And mm. that, that in and of itself is going to change the landscape to a certain extent. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Takes over uh, this spring. Damien, uh, always a pleasure. Again, the, the book that uh, you can buy for Family Day, which is upcoming, Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, co-authored by Gord Stellick and Damian Cox. Thanks, Demo. Okay, happy All-Star break, guys. And, and hey, enjoy the draft tomorrow night. I know you will. Oh, God, who wouldn't? Thanks, man. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. Damian Cox, our Leafs historian, um, a wide-ranging conversation. I would agree. Touched on a lot of topics. We sure did. But now it's time for The Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. They are still playing hockey games in the National Hockey League, including tonight, where the Ottawa Senators are in Detroit to play the Red Wings. An important out-of-town scoreboard night for the mm -hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs. The Red Wings trying to make their push in the Atlantic Division, uh, and they are favored against the Sens team that at last check was coming back from down three goals to uh, win a hockey game against the Nashville Predators. Uh, 
pretty close to a coin flip, but the Red Wings slightly favored minus 120. The total is seven. Brent. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Uh, you got the extra half goal there at seven. And uh, for the Wings, the under is hit in seven of the last 10 games for them. It's also cashed in five of the last two. Uh, now, Sens have scored a little better clip than that, but I, I think the Wings are going to dictate this game. Give me the under. You got to pay a bit, but minus 128. That's what I like with a total of seven. It's a weird moment in the NHL calendar right now with these games being played and the mm. All-Star game I think looming. they got Cancun on the brain. Well, I mean, you just look at some of the results, and I guess Monday's game against the Preds, notwithstanding, where there were seven goals, one of them in overtime, but, you know, yesterday you had a couple of shutouts. Granted, not exactly powerhouse offensive teams, but, yeah, you, you, you do wonder if uh, maybe the, the skill isn't necessarily on display with, like, the, the finish line so, so close. So, yeah, I, I like the under there bunch. Uh, that was the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, Justin Turner has a ring. Mm. He demands respect. And he will be uh, the Blue Jays DH next season, signing a one-year deal. We'll talk to Jeff Blair of Blair & Barker. Next, the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.